0: Oh my gosh, I feel like we should just have them come out and and even just do all that all over again. That was so good. Um, I am just, every week, I'm so thankful for our worship team, our ever-growing worship team, Um, and it just feels like it gets better every week. I don't know how you all feel, but it feels like for me it just gets better. So anyways, but you get to spend some time with me today, and I know you're certainly excited about that, right? Okay, thank you for that false level of excitement, but... I am looking forward to spending some time with you. If you're online or if you're in person with us today, for those of you um, who are our guests, we're honored and really thrilled that you've chosen to be with us today. We are in the middle of a series called Rhythms. Uh, and gosh, we had hoped that fall was going to be... We, we've we been kind of working towards just really putting it into high gear and moving forward following the pandemic, and that is not what has happened <laughs> Um, as we're all watching and we're all trying to figure out how to navigate this new season that we're in, which is really an old season that we thought was gone. Um, so, uh, but Rhythms has been a part of what we have been working towards now for over a, a year. And it is the ability and opportunity to supercharge your growth and transformation in following Christ. And one of the things we recognize in the church today, and just kind of the big church everywhere... Um, even with us and ourselves at times, is that we stop believing that God can actually transform us, can actually change us, can actually do something in us. Also, I'm seeing some kids out here. Like, yeah, so, um, yes, you can go on to Kidmo. Leilani's like, why are you still talking? I'm not even supposed to be here for this. Um, If you're a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, they have their own time of small groups teaching and stuff they do together, and you're welcome to go follow them back there and see where they're going. I forgot, it's only this... Second week we've done it, so we, we've back, been back to elementary school ministry. Anyways, but now there's fewer people in here. All right, that's all right. Um, so we've been working towards this, um, and we we stopped somewhere along the line believing God still transforms people. Uh, we, we It's become about practices and about just commitments and about this is what you're supposed to do, but what about all the good stuff that Jesus says was going to happen if we follow him? And what we know is that that doesn't happen overnight, and that doesn't happen without being intentional. And so the rhythms are an attempt for us to talk about practices you can in, you know, take part in your life that become a normal rhythm of your life that not only cause you to hear God and experience God, God more fully, but it actually transforms you. Last week we talked a lot about the rhythm of uh, silence and solitude. And as uh, Henry Nouwen said, this is the furnace of transformation. Uh, others have said this is the only way for you to tra- be transformed is if you actually stop and you spend time quietly removing all distractions. So where we've been so far, I don't want to jump ahead too far, where we've been so far, the first rhythm we talked about was a rhythm of guidance, and that is the ability to hear God's voice and obey His Word. We started with that rhythm because if we are not interested in being led, then God is not going to force us. Uh, God is always inviting, but He's never forcing. And so the rhythm of guidance is a rhythm that you develop within your life of looking to hear from God and then following whatever He says. Now, we know that primarily that means Scripture. But there are some that say that's the only way God speaks today, but that is not what Scripture tells us. Now, nothing that God says will contradict Scripture But we spend time with Him in prayer and meditation, which we'll talk about later. We spend time with other believers. God has gifted us with being the image of Himself. And part of that is our ability to daydream and pursue and believe and hope and hear God. So the rhythm of guidance was really kind of our first rhythm. We're not calling them disciplines or practices simply because when we start talking about practices or we start talking about disciplines, it feels like you better do this or else. Like I've read my Bible for three days in a row, but now God is super mad at me, and I have an interview later today. So if I I didn't read my Bible today, well, God make sure I don't get the interview because I didn't follow the discipline for the day. Now, I hope that you don't ever go through that thought process, but I guarantee you, some of you in here do, and there are a lot of people that when we look at these as strictly disciplines, like this is just what you're supposed to do. I mean, love it or leave it. This is what you're supposed to do. And that does not square with how Jesus talks about following Him. Instead, He's always saying, taste and see, this is good. He's saying, listen, watch. If you see and if you hear, you will find that this is really good for your soul. This is rest for your soul. He says, my way is easy, it's not hard, and yet sometimes we introduce the disciplines in a way that makes it hard and judgmental and legalistic a rhythm is more about those things that we know are we are going to incorporate into our lives and maybe we miss a day but we're going to return to it because this is just a part of how we live our lives and the first one is certainly we want to be guided by god the second one that we talked about last week was silence and solitude the transformation happens when we experience god without distraction and today we're talking about the rhythm of suffering and adversity And this is being able to be healthy and joyful even in the midst of suffering because literally adversity is a part of life. Now before we get into this, I want to be very careful that we start off on the right foot and not believe that what I am trying to encourage you in is that if you want to follow Jesus, just develop a rhythm of being in bad shape all the time. Just you want to suffer. Like if things are going too well, you should stop. You should make something go bad because we want to just suffer for Jesus. That is not the direction we're going. That is not the rhythm of suffering. But instead, how do we respond to adversity and suffering in our lives so that we can have joy? We can experience Christ. We can be excited about what God is doing, even when things go wrong. At the end of our service today, Tracy, who is one of our worship leaders today, is going to lead us also in just a time of prayer and meditation, especially for those who are struggling with suffering in different ways right now. And that may be because of COVID. That may be because something's going on in your family. That could just be some inner turmoil that has been with you throughout your life. We want to have some time to practice this rhythm this morning. And before we do that, I want to share with you just some basics. I want to share a couple of stories with you. We're going to do that, and then we're going to be done for today. We do recognize there are lots of different types of, of suffering that we each have. Some of the suffering in my life are, are things I brought upon myself. Does anybody have any of those in their lives? Like I made a bad decision and here I am experiencing the consequences. Some of the suffering we have, we blame God for, but honestly, I did that all on my own. I'm good at it, and so are you. There are other types of suffering in which somebody has laid that at our feet, unasked for, unwelcomed. Uh, We didn't want it, we didn't see it coming, but it's here, and now someone has done something that has brought suffering to our lives. And honestly, we struggle with that. We're going to talk about that in a minute as well. There's a suffering that just happens because you and I live in a world that is messed up and is filled with people trying to make their way the very best that they can, and we're still making a mess of things. So we have suffering just for the very basis of the fact that we live in a broken, fallen world and it has suffering that is built in at least until Jesus returns. There is also a suffering in which God finds us and He says, I'm going to take this moment in your life and I'm going to refine you. And God initiates that suffering not to harm us, but to help us be refined and to grow. As followers of Jesus, there's another type of suffering you're going to experience if you're going to take Jesus at His Word and you're going to follow His teachings and follow the way that is the way of Christ. And that is when we choose to love other people. When you choose to love other people, you're going to choose to love somebody who is hurting. You're eventually, though most of you probably already are, going to have a relationship with with someone who is suffering something on their own. And it will have nothing to do with you other than the fact, this is a person that I have chosen to love, and now I hurt with you. Now there are a lot of people that can avoid this type of suffering by completely sealing themselves off, or only being around people that are fun and feel good, and anyone who's hurting or has something going wrong in their life, they just avoid and they have nothing to do with them. There are certainly those that do that, But if you're going to love other people as you love yourself, which Jesus says is the second greatest commandment after loving God, you're going to invite relationships that bring suffering to you, and it will not feel good. Richard Foster said this about suffering. He said, We speak in Christian theology of the vicarious suffering of Christ." By this we mean more than Christ's sacrifice on Calvary, though we do mean to include this pivotal event. On the cross, Jesus the Christ took into himself all the sins and sorrows of the past, present, and future, and through his blood redeemed it all. Jesus experienced, however, not only a cross death, but also a cross life. As the Son of God walked among us in the flesh, he constantly and consistently identified with those who suffer, the bruised and the broken, the poor and the weak, the hopeless and the helpless. If you're going to follow Jesus, it is impossible to follow Him without suffering entering your life at some point. The value of this rhythm is not that you endure great amount of suffering, although endurance does happen through this rhythm, but that's not the point. The point of the rhythm is of suffering as that we grow into something more than we were. And ultimately, that we find the place that sustains us in those times. What Richard Foster is saying here is that we are never more the church than in our identification with those who suffer. And there is one thing that we are not lacking right now, and that is suffering. Whether you're suffering because someone is sick, we have family members within our church that have lost people very close to them from COVID in the last couple of weeks. We have others that are quarantining as a close contact, whether in our schools or from work or our family members and they're suffering. We've been watching what's going on across the ocean, what's happening in Afghanistan, and there's... Great amount of suffering happening there. We see suffering all around us. Even if these events weren't happening, even before the pandemic, even before the events of Afghanistan, suffering is something we experience regularly. You know someone who is suffering. If you want to practice this rhythm of loving other people, and it, it means you don't necessarily need more friends. It means you need bigger eyes to see the pain that your friends are going through. I know I have friends that I will share with them the deep pains that I'm going through, and I have some that I know they're not ready for that. I don't share the deep pains. And then as a pastor, I have to think about, all right, how much do I share? you know? And I overshare regularly. But a lot of my really close friends, they see me, and they know me, and they can see when something's wrong because they have eyes to see. We have that opportunity for other people as well. And if you can't think of a single person in your life that's suffering right now, I guarantee you do know someone who is suffering. But we can open our eyes to their suffering and enter into their suffering with them. Once we do that, we also can expand our circle to involve other people and we can begin to care for them as well. And all of these things, no matter how you're suffering, and this is important, no matter what you're suffering as a result of, whether your bad choices, someone else's bad choices, or the fact that you've entered into su- someone else's suffering just to be with them as a brother or sister in Christ, in all of them, we know God is going to work in them for your good, even if it's 100% your fault. Because God is a God of grace and mercy to move you to the place where you become more and more like him, and he never had the expectation that you would live this life perfectly. Never, ever. If that was the expectation, Jesus would not have come, and Jesus would not have died on the cross. He knows you're going to mess up. He knows it's going to be 100% your fault, and he loves you, and he is going to share his mercy and grace with you regardless. In all of them, God is at work for your good. Romans 8:26 through 28 says, The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Praise the Lord. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Even if you're sitting here today and it's 100% your fault, God is with you. God is with you. One of the reasons this rhythm is so radical is because in our culture and in our time and in our place and especially in a land ruled by the pursuit of happiness, we are the most adversity um, allergic people on the planet. Most of us spend our entire lives avoiding adversity. But you cannot avoid adversity. If you want a better job, you're going to have to make some hard decisions that may cost you something to get the better job. If you have a trophy husband or wife, you didn't get that trophy husband or wife by just sitting there doing nothing, right? Somebody had asked somebody out, and if they were like, man, they're the best thing ever, you were nervous when you did that. That's a different kind of adversity, isn't it? Because there's reward at the end of that adversity. If you're going to have kids, you're going to go through adversity because you're going to fear for them, you're going to hurt for them, and then you're at times going to do unpleasant things to them as you help them grow, and they're not going to look at you as their best friend. There will be some adversity. If you love people, you're going to experience adversity because they are eventually going to hurt you. This is a universal reality of life. People hurt people. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus has said, when someone hurts you, don't hurt them back. He said it like this. He said, turn the other cheek. He said, it's going to be okay. Forgive them. You know what? Even forgive, love, and pray for people that habitually hurt you that you would go so far as to call them an enemy. Love. Pray and forgive them. It's going to happen. I hurt people. You hurt people. And when we do, Jesus has given us a way to restore that relationship by asking and offering forgiveness. This is a part of life. And so if we live our entire life trying to avoid it, what ends up happening is we live our entire life not knowing how to deal with it. And I believe that's where a lot of people are today. You can't avoid it. It doesn't mean you have to deal with it. And it can follow you around for the rest of your life. When suffering comes, we get angry, we fight back, we walk the other way, we hurt those who would cause us pain. None of those are the way of Jesus. He kept moving forward no matter what. One of the things when you stop being risk-averse to adversity or suffering that you find is that sometimes the things that you fear and the things that you label suffering really aren't that bad after all. Sometimes they even end up really good. There's a TED Talk that Deidre clued me in on. I mentioned it uh, a while ago here. Um, It was given by Heather Lanier, and she started. the TED Talk was called Good and Bad are Incomplete Stories We Tell Ourselves. And she starts with an ancient parable that makes this point beautifully. and I want to read it for you. It says, There was once a farmer in a village. One day his horse ran away. So the villagers came up to him and said, That's bad. He shrugged his shoulders and said, Hard to say. The next day the horse came back with seven wild horses. So the villagers came up to him and said, More horses, that's good. He shrugged his shoulders and said, Hard to say. A week later, the farmer's son was riding one of the wild horses and was thrown off of it. As a result, he broke his leg. So the villagers came up to him and said, that's bad. And he shrugged his shoulders and he said, hard to say. The next week, the king sent word commanding all able men of age to enlist in the army for the upcoming war against the neighboring kingdom. The farmer's son wasn't enlisted as he had a broken leg. Now the villagers came up to him and said, that's good. And he shrugged his shoulders and said, Hard to say. The point of the parable is that there are things that happen that we assume are bad things, but they may lead to really great things. And there are things that we assume are really great things, but they may lead to really bad things. It's really hard to say this is good or this is bad when we don't see the complete picture. So how do we understand this suffering in a way that is healthy and moves us to a place of joy? Part of that is recognizing the role it plays. Part of recognizing is that this is just a part of life. Um, this is not uh, God does not prove that he is a good God because he removes all suffering. That is one of the things that I often hear. If God was a good God, there would be no suffering. And yet God has given us the option to live our lives the way we choose to live. And by doing so, we invite pain and hardship into our lives, into the lives of the people around us. So it's not about God removing all the suffering. It's about how do we function in light of that reality. I want to share a few things with you. We're going to have this guided moment together. Then we're going to be done. But I want you, if you want to take notes, these are in you version. Uh, if you're our guest today, you should just know I tend to, when I teach, I tend to like dump a bunch of stuff on you. Usually, you'll grab onto something and you'll think about that for a while. We make our notes available. You can go online and rewatch if you want to get more. Um, but the point is not that you remember every single thing I say. I, honestly, I won't. <laughs> but the point is, is that you struggle with this and deal with this and you take it to God and say, what do you want me to do as a result of this? So I'm going to share a few things with you, grab onto the things that are meaningful to you right now. Number one, if you're afraid that you're a bad person or God's angry with you because right now you're suffering and you feel judged by God, number one, Jesus suffered as part of God's redemptive plan. Suffering was always a part of the plan. Jesus didn't disappoint God. He didn't anger God. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet suffering was always a part of His redemptive plan for the world. Always, always been a part of the plan. He came to suffer and He came to die for us on the cross. He always knew that. The disciples did not always know that. In fact, the disciples rejected that idea when He began to share it with them. Matthew 16, we have this really incredible exchange between Jesus and Peter. Jesus is talking about more what it's going to look like for him to redeem the world because they still, part of them still thought he was just going to remove Rome from their borders. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, which is kind of funny. I mean, Peter's rebuking Jesus, although anyone else started talking like this that was our friend, we would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Let's take a minute here. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, which is, wow, really strong. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In other words, there is something good it has to happen as a result of this suffering, but your mind is on pursuing a way that avoids suffering. But if we do, if we avoid suffering, we will avoid all the good things too. There's always part of redeeming the world to Him because the world is suffering. Jesus suffered as a part of God's redemptive it wasn't needless. It wasn't suffering for suffering's sake, just to be able to say, Woe is me. Look how bad my life is. You are not more spiritual because bad things happen to you. And you are not more spiritual because good things happen to you. Bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. It's the way the world works. Scripture says it this, God makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Suffering is always a part of God's redemptive plan. According to Jesus, suffering is also an expected reality if we're going to follow Him. We can expect this. Sometimes the way that we see this, what's going on in Afghanistan right now, in which Christians are being targeted, tortured, killed. That's absolutely some of the sufferings Jesus was talking about because all but one of the, the disciples ended up, that was the end of their life. Only one disciple died of old age. Every and, and they tried to kill him too. The story of John the Apostle is really a wonderful story when you begin to read it. Tried to boil him in oil and he survived. And he ended up writing the book of Revelation and... He ended up dying eventually of old age, but none of the rest of them did. Jesus said, If you're going to follow me, there's going to be a amount of suffering. Sometimes it's because of persecution, it's always because when we follow Jesus, we do what Jesus does. And just as he was acquainted with grief and suffering, we will too, because we choose to do life with people who are suffering and show them that God loves them and that he is with them, and so are we. You are going to suffer whether it's because you love someone else who's suffering or something happens to you specifically. It's going to happen if you follow Jesus. 1 Peter 2 says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself. Judge, to him who judges justly. There's so much that Peter's saying here. He is saying, for one, I mean, suffering's going to happen. Jesus showed us it was going to happen, and it, it is going to happen. But then he also talks about how Jesus responded to suffering, which is really good for us in a time where right now we are so divided and so angry and so frustrated, and we're looking for somebody to take it out on, and so we take it out on each other while we're all struggling through COVID, I think it is so important that he said when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to one who who judges justly. I don't know about you, but I get on Facebook at times and I want to say something. Does anybody else have this problem? I'm like... I'm weighing the cost benefit of this, right? Like, it's going to feel really good to say this because I'm really ticked off right now. And listen, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to word it so well that they're going to see their folly. They're going to fall on their face, repent, say they're sorry, probably even delete their Facebook account. They'll feel so bad. And then I, God is going to be glorified. I mean, it's going to be wonderful. A dove, you know, skies will separate. A dove will come down from heaven and land on my shoulder and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's for some reason how we think that our response to Facebook posts or Instagram or Twitter or whatever is going to be, but it never is, right? That never happens. No one's ever done that. So we have to have this cost-benefit conversation in our head. Like, is this really something I should say? God, I really want to. Nope, not going to do it. Because Jesus wouldn't have done it. We talk about what would Jesus do, and there's a lot of that we don't know how Jesus would tweet. But we can read something like this and we can say, I know what Jesus wouldn't do. He wouldn't try to return hurt with hurt. I mean, he even walked up to a woman who had been caught in adultery, and the God's punishment for adultery at the time was to be stoned, and and he stood in between and said, No. Jesus gives us such a great example of how to deal in hard times. But everything in us, unless we are practicing these rhythms, leads us to our natural human state, which leads to anger and frustration and hurting others because we are hurting ourselves. How we respond as humans, it's not the way Jesus responds, and it should not be the way the church responds, though I can't always tell that based on my social media feed. It's an expected reality. But when we truly love others, we stop trying to harm others, even when they harm us. And I got to tell you, we had a conversation. I've had several conversations about what's going on in Afghanistan, and some of the things that are coming out of the churches there, and the statements that they're we're staying firm. We're staying firm. I've seen posts go around and really snarky, not helpful posts, and at times I want to post one too. They say something to the effect effect of, uh, they're going to church today knowing it will probably be their last day on this earth, but we can't get people to come to church ever, for whatever reason. And you know, as a pastor, I have that, that's not not a good way to think, it's not a good way because the reality is, rhythms do something for us that just saying we're a Christian doesn't. Growing up in Afghanistan does something to quicken your faith that growing up in America doesn't. Growing up in China as a Christian, in North Korea as a Christian, in any other country as a Christian, you are quickened and you are forged in a way that we, with literally no persecution in this country, we have not been quickened in that way. That's why when you look at some people and you're like, how do they endure so much stress? You probably There's probably not an answer for that. It probably has to do with how they have lived their entire life up to that moment, and they have developed an ability to deal with stress that someone who has not had lots of stresses in their life has not been able to develop that. So we look at each other, and I, I look at the believers in Afghanistan, and I'm like, this is amazing. I, I, I hope that if that happened, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that I would be exactly the same way. But I have no idea. I hope it will. But they've been quickened in a way that I haven't. And this is where Paul says, bear with the weaknesses of one another. So my brothers and sisters in Afghanistan need to bear with my weaknesses because I haven't developed the same strength that they've developed. I mean, maybe I have. I I, I won't know that until the day comes, right? That I have to actually make the decision. It's an expected reality that this is going to, to come. And because we can grow in this ability to withstand suffering and adversity and stress, number three, Suffering feeds the soil of explosive spiritual growth. I actually grow stronger through suffering. I don't grow weaker. James talks about this, and this is one that, you know, like we read this, and we're like, I I don't really know what you're talking about, James, but I think it sounds great. I don't really know what it means. James says in chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, it strengthens you. It grows you. And when when Scripture talks about perfecting, it doesn't mean you're without error. It means that you're full and complete and whole. This is what suffering does for us so he's not saying you know look forward to suffering or invite it or look for the person that you you can just you know their buttons and I'm going to push it and I'm going to suffer for Jesus in just a minute and I'm getting ready to push their button to bring it on and y'all watch this is going to grow me spiritually that that's not what he's saying like don't go look for it but when it comes know that this is why it's come and what can happen even as a result while inside and internally we're looking for every exit point from that suffering that we can find and it's which is normal I do it just like you do. We recognize that it is the soil for explosive spiritual growth. Leonard Sweet wrote a book recently called Ring of Fire. He's a futurist sociologist. He talks about things that are going to be happening between. He wrote one called Soul Tsunami that was like, what's going to happen between 2000 and 2020. Ring of Fire is what's going to happen between 2020 and 2050. at His projections, he does it from a perspective of faith and education and industry and all kinds of things. He's really way, way smarter than I am. He called his book Ring of Fire because he lives in Hawaii, and he talked about our culture is just going to be stressed to the max over the next 30 years, which is going to fuel lots of change. But he says you don't have to be afraid of that. This is what he says from his book. He says, volcanic soil is some of the richest soil on the planet. Lava burns the ground at first, but then enriches the soil with fertilizing elements such as iron, phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, and the blood of the martyrs. Sometimes we feel like the world's burning. What he's saying and what is so true is that God can work with that. We don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Fourth thing, suffering opens us up to deeper truths about life and God. This is one of the, the benefits of suffering or adversity. Ruthie Johnson wrote an article about suffering being like wilderness and wandering. We talk about suffering much in Scripture. We see someone like Jesus when he, His suffering was in the wilderness. Or suffering is just wandering. But she says this about suffering. Uh, the benefit of suffering, she says. Ease, ease, you know, like comfort, pleasure, not being worried about anything. Ease makes our hearts forget. Gut wandering calls us to remembrance. Now, if you've been a Christian for more than a day, you already know what she means by that. Like, th- everything's going great. Like, God is a thought. When everything's going bad, God is a necessity. It opens us up to deeper truths about life and about God. Fifth thing is this: God tends to be most felt when we are struggling or dealing with adversity. Tim Mackey, who you you've heard me know, I'm a fan, he's the founder of the Bible Project. If you watch any of those videos. He's a Hebrew scholar, just really speaks about a lot of things in a way that uh, brings us back to really the truth of Scripture, but also in a way that we can fully understand. He he did a talk that was really interesting, talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I thought it was was very astute what he said. He said, what we learn from Mary is that that time of giving birth to Jesus was a time of great suffering for her. Like, people rejected her. Her husband or her future husband almost left her. And here she is in a culture in which you're supposed to be stoned if you commit adultery, and she's pregnant, and she's not fully married to Joseph yet. And then going through all of the traumas of childbirth. It was a time of suffering. We tend to gloss over that and forget what it really cost Mary to be the mother of Jesus. But he says, he, he makes this beautiful point that... In spite of all of that, literally Jesus was never more physically close to her than in those times. I mean, she was literally pregnant with him. And we actually find that time and time again, that in our times of most suffering, that's where Jesus is likely most with us. Most with us. Not most far away from us. Maybe we feel like he's far away, but it's actually in our suffering he's most, most with us. But this is a reality that you can't share with a friend who's suffering. He. he He said it this way, which was so true. He says, you can't just walk up to somebody and say, chin up, God's with you. Because that's a way to ruin a friendship right there, isn't it? Like when things are going bad and somebody comes up and says, okay, God's with you. It's like, what? I'm going to punch you right now. He says, you can't just show up to somebody and tell them that. Instead, they have to experience it themselves. You have to come to this realization yourself. God does tend to be most felt when we are struggling or dealing with adversity. I just say that to you today because if you're one of those people dealing with it right now, this is exactly what God wants you to experience. It's his closeness to you. Not His disappointment, not His judgment. It's closeness to you. That's what these rhythms do. These rhythms, as we make them a part of our life, we're not asking for the rhythm of, Suffering to just be ongoing suffering so we can say, oh, woe is me. Look how holy I am. What we're saying is, I am not going to run from it. I'm not going to shy away from it. And if it comes for me, I'm going to be okay because I have God with me. I'm okay. But that takes a rhythm to develop that. Finally, I would share this with you. Our greatest tool in dealing with any kind of adversity or suffering is to develop a rhythm of resting in Christ so that we may gain strength and perspective from Him. So if there is an action for you to do, it is the action of drawing close to Christ in the moment of your suffering, not to pull away. It's hard to talk about this kind of thing unless you experience it, and it's hard to experience it if you're not experiencing suffering in any way, but this morning we want to do something a little different and have a moment just to practice. And Tracy's going to come up and and share just a a guided few moments with us. Um, We're going to, at the end of this time, have a time just to leave quietly this morning rather than visit in here. If you'd like to visit, you can visit out in the lobby or the hallways. But following this, as we conclude the service, we're going to have an opportunity for you just to come up and pray and spend some time in here if you would like to do that.